Hello and welcome to Called to Queer, where we hold space for the queer Mormon women, genderqueer, and intersex experiences. I'm Colette, my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Kate, and my pronouns are they, them. Today, we're interviewing Nicole LaRue, and we're so excited for this conversation. But before we jump into that, we wanted to start off by seeing what brought us queer joy this week. So Kate, what brought you queer joy this week? It actually was today I had queer joy. We were all just discussing how it's been like a wild, crazy week, but today I have had like very specific queer joy in that I just finished a meeting with somebody in Romania. So I live in Romania. I work with LGBTQ groups in Romania, and one of these groups lives literally on the other side of the country from me. We are creating a project together on non-binary language guides and we're working on a federal grant together and so we just met via zoom and it was like it's so nice when you're just in that space with somebody who completely gets you even though you know you might not speak the same language your first language is not the same you come from two different countries your queerness is like the same language i think that that's similar to mormonism when you meet somebody who just understands you on a deeper level, but it was just like a lot of queer joy just to meet together and plan a project and to have these ideas and to know that this is a project that, that people want to fund where 50 years ago, that wouldn't have been the case. That's really cool. I'm so glad you're involved in that and had the queer joy and got to do the things. So thank you for all the work you're doing and advocacy. It's really cool to see and hear about Kate. Thank you. All right, Colette, you're up. Yeah, as Kate mentioned, we were all talking before how it's just been a really rough week for all of us. And I swear, like all my clients too, like something astrologically is going on or, you know, talk to my queer astrology friends, like, I don't know what's happening. It's been rough. And so this thing happened and I turned to Kanisha and I was like, oh, this is my queer joy that I'll say on Friday. Like, got to hold on to those queer joy moments. But I'm in a Facebook Messenger group chat with some other queer friends And a couple of them had tickets to a Sundance film that's about the Indigo Girls and a documentary about it. And they couldn't go last minute. And they're like, does anyone want them? And I was like, oh, that'd be so cool. But we have Brooke, so that won't work. And then someone else in the chat, one of our other friends said, hey, like we can watch Brooke so you can go and go on a date with Kanisha and go see this Indigo Girls documentary. And I was like, wait, are you are you serious? (laughs) Like, are you sure? Like four and a half year olds have a lot of energy. Like, do you really want to? And they're like, yeah. And she said, that's what family's for. And I was like, oh, like chosen Mm -hmm. queer family. Then being able to watch the Indigo Girls and seeing all the advocacy and queer joy they do and talking about some really cool stuff. And then coming home and we talked, hung out, and then they left. And then I realized they also did our dishes and cleaned our sink (laughs) and made pipe cleaner dinosaurs with Brooks. And I'm just like, who are you? Like, it was just a really, really bright spot in a really, really rough week to be so highlighting chosen family. And it, w- it was really great. So shout out to Holly and Natalie. <laughs> Thank you, Holly and Natalie. That's amazing. I love that story. I'm so glad you got to go see that too. It was really cool. I'll be curious to see where it goes after Sundance. I think it's great to see 
I obviously know the Indigo Girls, know some of the music and some of their advocacy, but to hear from them. And apparently Amy, when the Indigo Girls has been filming, like has just all this archival footage of them from high school on. And so just pulling from all these videos from when they were younger and photos. And it was, it was so well done. So highly recommend. Very cool. But Nicole, we want to hear your queer joy. I know it's been a rough week for you too, but hopefully you've been able to find a few. I, I now that I feel put on the spot, I don't I don't know if I've no okay. I'm gonna find some queer joy. So I found out I was laid off from my job this week. I found out that news, which was really really incredible. But my queer joy is maybe just my wife. I'm gonna just say because holy crap, I've never met any other person who could get me out of my shit and just make things feel okay. Like I'm I will like dive deep into like totally pushing everybody away and just like being super quiet and she can talk me into laughing about the stupidest stuff and that for me is kind of the biggest deal ever so maybe that's my queer joy to this this week oh that's a fabulous queer yeah joy. we love that queer joy we are here for all of that <laughs> Well, and I, I'm excited. I was telling you, Nicole, before we started, but I'll tell listeners, I have a dear friend, Sarah. She's the one who designed my logo for the Queerly You, Retreats the Rainbow Butterflies. And we were talking and she found you on social media, super impressed with all your work. And then she was like, wait a minute, I'm pretty sure Nicole's queer and has some sort of Mormon-ness. And so then she did a super deep dive into your social media and found, oh, it's confirmed, went to BYU, like there's something and so I, I have some ness in both, definitely do. <laughs> and so I've been wanting to reach out to you, but I'm like, oh, I'm not sure. How, it's always awkward when you don't actually know someone. Like I've been following you on social media, but then I was able to go to your opening early this month and meet you in person, and you were just so gracious. We're like, yeah, let's schedule this. So I'm excited to get to know you and hear your story and introduce you to our listeners who may not be familiar with your work yet. That's fantastic. No, it was really awesome to see you show up. That was very cool to me. So thanks for coming. Yeah, I I love your work. So I'm excited. But I think this is a great time to get going into your queer Mormon story. So wherever you want to start there, and then we can just go from there. Well, I usually start with, I was going to go to some private art colleges after high school. I grew up in Northern California. Neither of my parents went to college. So they were just like, you know, like, we don't. We, we don't know how to do these student loan stuff and we don't know anything about grants. And um, my parents were divorced at the time and my mom was friends with um, a girl I did gymnastics with. Like my whole life, like uh, Mormons were part of it. It was so weird because in hindsight, I didn't even recognize it. And so like, like four of my teammates in gymnastics were Mormon. And so one of their moms was friends with my mom and um, they filled out my then Rick's college application. And I was like, what the, you know, like grew up in Northern California had, I mean, I was so out there. I had two earrings in both ears at the time and, and, and this one up here and realized that I like, I'm going to go to Idaho for school. And I was like, what is going on with my life? And my dad drove me to Idaho and he's like, I don't know what I'm doing. Cause he wasn't, you know, we didn't grow up with any religion. He's like, I'm going to just drop you off here in the middle of nowhere with, all these Mormons and like say good luck. And he was like, I don't, I like, it was so weird to even see that from my dad. He was like, I don't know what we're doing right here right now. And I was like, yeah, you and me both buddy, <laughs> like seriously. But interestingly uh, for all, all the baggage that comes with it, it, 
it was the best decision. Honestly, it's so strange. I loved Rick's college. I didn't, I didn't feel like I fit in with the community very well, but I was always like the good kid. And so I really, really tried to like get there and met this boy in one of my art classes. And I, so I wasn't Mormon either at the time, like going to Rick's college, which is even better because then like my roommate was like really society president in our, you know, student ward. And, and I was like, Awesome. And so this boy that I met, he got me to do discussions with the sister missionaries and then he baptized me and then we got married in the Logan Temple. I mean, it's just like the weirdest thing, like so far from a life I could have ever imagined. And I was at Rick's College for three years, just taking all the classes I could. And then we went to BYU and Provo together. My then husband is weird to say. It's like so many lifetimes ago. <clears throat> and then we were there for three years. And you know how like you're like busy in school and you're both doing school. And so you're kind of not like knowing exactly who you are anyway. <clears throat> and he was just like my buddy, like he and his guy friends, we'd all just go mountain biking and on these really hard, long backpacking trips. And so I was like one of the guys, which is like so weird, you know, I mean, not really weird for me. And yeah, I was like, but I'm married to this kid, you know, like this is like my future, (laughs) like this is forever. And I kind of ended up after I graduated from BYU, which was also a good experience, which is funny because they have one of the top graphic design programs in the nation. So I ended up going to to a school that was way better for me, more well-rounded. Like if I went to a private art college, I wouldn't have gotten the sciences and, you know, all the, all the other things that come with it. And um, so I graduated and I was like, look, dude, like you're not like super keen on me. <laughs> like I get it. Like this is not like our future. And I ended up leaving our marriage and he was like, yeah, because I kind of wanted to just be like, I always thought I would be married to like a blonde girl who could play the piano. And I was like, yeah, well, that's why we're not working out for sure. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> like I'll let them all take care of this. And funny enough, I didn't, didn't do it because I, I knew I was gay. Like that just wasn't a thing for me at the time. And after I left that the marriage and then like, I'd like, went and got the smallest tattoo on my ankle and then re-pierced my ears because I was like going to be so like, you know, I was just going to buck the system at the time, which is so funny because now I have like a full sleep tattoo and like, you know, more earrings than I need. And, you know, uh, but at the time it was kind of my way of saying, look, I'm not Mormon anymore. And, um, and then I kind of just dated guys and girls for a little while because I I didn't I didn't know where I fit like what I should be doing because I'd always done the shoulds I'd always done what I was supposed to do um I didn't know if I had friends growing up that were queer and so it was just a whole new world for me which is very strange because I mean northern california I could have had any experience but I dated people and then finally really totally uh, around the age 28 I met a woman and decided to just come out to my family, which was the scariest part for me because I thought like, I don't want to lose my dad. Like, dude, I just was Mormon. Wasn't that enough? (laughs) Like, wasn't that enough to be like, Hey dad, I'm part of this cult and I'm going to get married in this temple and you can't come, but you can stay outside. (laughs) 
that would be the best scenario. And now I'm gay. Like, do you want, I mean, I could just, I don't know. Can I get, can I get any better for you? I was going to be a doctor and now I'm a, a graphic designer and I do art. Like, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. So, but I mean, my family is amazing and my dad, especially, he's like my hero. And it's funny because his brother has a daughter and she's gay. So I called my uncle first and I was like, hey, Hey, uncle, it was like, I'm, I'm going to tell dad that I'm gay. And then he was like, okay, <laughs> he was like, you should probably do that. I don't know. Then they're a bunch of jokesters. So it was even funnier. I was like, all right, like, I'll go <laughs> tell him now, now that I'm like safely in your pocket, like, let me, <laughs> then I'll, I'll come out to my, my family. So that's the, that's the, that's the story so far. And now I'm like, you mentioned your queer joy is your wife. So obviously a few things have happened since then. Can you talk a little bit more about that experience of navigating the coming out to your dad and then maybe accepting more of your queerness to the point that you did marry a woman? Like that can be a big hurdle with that internalized homophobia potentially. Yeah. I mean, once I came out, I feel like I was fine. I had a partner at the time. I, we were partners for 11 years, but I had met my now wife, Eliza, just as soon as I met this other woman. And we were just friends. And then my partner at the time, we went overseas and lived in South Korea and Japan for a while, and then went to the East Coast, lived in Portland, Oregon, and then came back here four years ago to Utah. And I left my relationship. It was quite abusive. It was just like a really bad situation. And Eliza and I, we, we had like, we've had like our, our really sketchy times. Like we were going to date when I first came back and then I was dating someone else and that like really messed things up for a little bit. And then I just think what she calls it, she's totally like an astrology energy person and it's called twin flames where like you meet and you know there's something there but like you you stay connected and you go through all this stuff but you're not in a space to all be together until you've worked your own stuff out and then in 2020 we were like let's just try to give it a shot and and we did and it's been two and a half years we got married last august and it's just like the most perfect thing ever the end I mean, not the end for sure. <laughs> I, I love that so much. I know Kate and I were just nodding along the whole twin flames thing, I think really resonates with both of us. And it yeah. can be so frustrating to be like, oh, oh, why is this not it yet? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of work we can do as human beings. And you almost have to be forced into it somehow. And and then you realize later on, you're like, wow, yeah, I'm glad I, I'm glad we didn't get together then. Like, you would not have liked me. I mean, I wasn't liking me then. So, like, who, why would I expect someone else to like me then? So, just get in that space and then, I don't know, maybe you're ready. I don't know. It's interesting. What a crazy story, though. Like, I didn't realize you had been married to a guy previously. To And I didn't realize you were a convert at that. Like, to grow up with no religion, wind up at Rick's. BYU, like Mary, wow, that's, yeah. that's a trip. It was like a, fa- a fast little uh, experiment or <laughs> a, a fast six-year experience. Mm-hmm. experiment. Yeah. Well, I am always fascinated by husbands and Colette will tell you this. <laughs> this is like my thing. 
Um, that, that was like the best phrase I've ever heard. Though, just for the record, that was amazing. <laughs> I may not want one myself, but I'm fascinated I'm by them. Definitely fascinated by them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because my experience dating men, it sounds like very similar to yours. That we're just friends. We're really good friends, and why don't we just like figure something else out? But I also have the experience of men who are like. I really want to be your friend and I'm confused why I have zero sexual attraction to you at all. Right. Like, so I think it's really interesting when men, men, (laughs) we have a lot of problems with men, but men are quite intuitive and they understand sex, I think, and, and sexuality and all those things in a completely different way. They're socialized to understand it differently. And they just, I think, understand gender and sexuality on a more intuitive level, not consciously because they, you know, they have these like conscious thoughts that get in the way, but subconsciously there's something going on for them. So this idea that you were best friends and you're doing all of these things together, did it seem like when you were going through what I imagine was a difficult process of separating and divorcing, how did those things come up? How, how was he talking about what he was experiencing and how were you talking about what you were experiencing? It doesn't sound like you ever said like I'm queer or I'm bi or I'm lesbian or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Like how did you communicate those things? Honestly, he, he didn't really come from a family that talked about hard things. And so he didn't really talk about it. I kind of, instigated it. And I was like, I'm not going to wear my temple garments. And I'm, I'm, you know, like slowly stopped going to church. And, and for him, I think it was more like, okay, this isn't the person I want to be with because they're not church minded, but he never really, like, I don't know. It was a very, and for me, when I decide something, I know it's not, it's not like gray for me. Like it's completely like, you're not going to talk me out of this. There's something built in me that I just know. And I will just do act on that. And so at the time, that's what I knew, like, that's what was going to happen. So we didn't really have much conversation around it. Um, in hindsight, it's kind of interesting because his family, he has a brother who has a trans kid and, and also a brother who has a queer kid who now follows me on Facebook and his mom, my ex-husband's mom reached out to me and they'd never said gay to me before, you know, like I, I will send them a holiday card every year. Like I do holiday art projects for myself, basically for everybody else. And, um, has never like approached it at all until, you know, two family members, like they're having to like come to terms with it. And, it's really impressive. I've been like, okay, you guys are kind of amazing because she wrote me a letter and just said, you know, I just want, you know, knowing that you're gay has really helped me kind of figure this out in my own family. And I'm like, wow, you're like this grown woman. And maybe I was just the introduction for them to like wrap their hearts around their actual family members later in the story. But my ex- and I really didn't talk about it. And we haven't been in contact since. Like, I'm friends with his brothers and sisters. But, like, I think he kind of needed to kind of keep his relationship separate. So, like, before, like, he was dating a woman. And then, like, he got remarried really quickly. Like, you do when you're a Mormon guy. Because he was four years older than me. And, you know, he's like, oh, crap. Like, I'm not right there. 
but I think he needed to keep his relationship separate and not have any contact with me, which is totally fine. I mean, I, I can, I, I mean, I understandable, but. Wow. That is a unique story and it just gets more and more unique. The idea that you're mm-hmm. still in contact with these folks. Um, yeah. Even recently, like that art show that you came to Colette, my sister-in-law came to that. Yeah. And she's like lives in Bountiful with her like amazingly adorable little family. And we just reconnected. And it's just kind of surreal a little bit. That is surreal. But how (laughs) how powerful and how healing to have this as an example, especially for our listeners who who are concerned and, and even terrified if they're in a similar situation to hear how families can heal and grow together, even if it's years later. So yeah. thank you for sharing yeah. that. Yeah, for sure. What else you got? <laughs> well, this is maybe turning a little bit, but I would love for you to talk about your art journey and things with that. And I don't know if you feel like your queerness has influenced your art or just your art overall that I think you've done some really neat stuff, <laughs> including your current gallery exhibit, including having done the graphics for a book that some readers might be fascinated to read. I'd love for you to just talk about some of your work. Yeah, it's it's definitely been a growth thing for sure. I mean, I went to school for graphic design. I always wanted to be an illustrator as well. Those two don't really mix in design school. Like They're like, we want you to be one or the other, you know? Um, so I did graphic design, which is great. It's great foundationally, but I love doing the whole process. So for my career, I've done a lot of different jobs. I've worked at marketing agencies and like in-house magazines. I've worked at small boutique studios. And then when I came back, I came back for a job in a publishing company in Layton, of all places. I was their art director for Gift and doing really good things. But I think I've always thought I'm kind of just a decorator. And and like as I get older, I'm like, I just kind of want to do something better And before I came here in 2017, I was asked to design the Women's March on Washington logo. So that kind of changed things a little bit for me when that happened. And when I moved here, um, some people might know the name Kate Kelly from Ordain Women here in Utah. She and her partner are currently living in Washington, D.C., and she was an attorney for an ERA representative. And she had this idea for a book, and she was like, I kind of want you to illustrate it. I, I, I don't want to do take it to a place that just wants it to be words. I want it to be graphic. I want it to like reach like the younger generation. And it, it's called Ordinary Quality, like her podcast. Kate Kelly has a podcast with Jamia Wilson and they it's, it's all about the ERA. And so Ordinary Equality, I pitched it to my company because even as a, an art director of the company, we still have to like find a place for it in the market. We have to decide if it's for us, if we are going to represent it. And in the end, they went for it. And even on the, the subtitle, it's the queer queer and uh, people of color of the, of the ERA, which is huge for this like little publisher in Leighton that has been around for 50 years, but kind of does like cowboy books and buffalo books and like really amazing cookbooks and has grown a lot. But for them to publish that, I was really impressed. I think half of our staff is queer and then half is Mormon. Like it's just kind of this really interesting mix. And so having done that, 
I've also done a couple of small self-guided activist journals for kids. One was called Small and Mighty, the other is Girl Almighty. And then a year ago, Kyle Ashworth of Latter-day Stories put out a call for re-envisioning the miracle of forgiveness. And I, and I was starting to do art. Design and art don't go hand in hand. My brain asks who's going to buy this. Every time I, I'm like, I just want to make art. I want to make it meaningful. I don't want to care if someone's going to buy it in the end. And that's a, like a weird conflict. And so I thought I'm going to do this and like figure it out. And even when I was Mormon, I never had any revelations, but I went to bed one night and like in the middle of the night, I woke up and I was just like thinking about what am I going to do with this? And I don't know how it happened, but I will call a revelation because I woke up and I was like, you could have said something beautiful instead of this bullshit you put, you're putting out there in the miracle forgiveness. And I'd heard rumors about how bad this book was, but I'd never, I'd never read it at all. And I picked myself up a copy and I could not believe how offensive it was. I mean, literally offensive. Like I could not believe the words that were used in it. And when I had this revelation, I totally like wrote it all down and like I knew what I was doing. And so I currently like buy really horrible literature. I collect really horrible political like speeches and legislation and I take them and make blackout poetry with them. So I take say like I took out one page from the Miracle of Forgiveness and I can only use the words on that page and I make a blackout poem from it. So I take that page and I make something beautiful instead of the horrible stuff that they're putting out into the world with their words. So with their words, I'm making it better. And so for me, that was huge. And in the process of doing this, I, I was having like a conversation with Eliza, my wife, and was like, but now I have like Hitler's book in my house and I have like a book called The Klansman. And I mean, the miracle of forgiveness for all that, you know, for all that. And at the end of the art, I don't, or even just the poems, I don't want to have this stuff in my house. And so I started making art and tearing the books apart and using all its pieces and making something beautiful instead as well. I'm currently working on a show that it's called a, The Choice Show in in Washington on Bashan Island. I just did their a miniature show, but they're it's for the Roe v. Wade stuff, so like abortion rights. And so I'm kind of doing the same stuff. So I took some literature. I did the, the amended Roe v. Wade legislated case. And I took some advocacy groups that are like pro-life advocacy groups that that are putting kind of crazy, crazy stuff out there. And I changed it and I'm going to submit three pieces there for that. So it's kind of kind of a big thing for me and I'm hoping to kind of make a book out of it. We'll see how that, like if I can get someone to to work with me on that. I'm actually going to ask, I don't know if you guys know the poet Andrea Gibson. I'm going to see. If I they, love them. I was supposed are, to see them in Salt Lake, but they had to cancel because yes. of their cancer recurrence. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, I'm going to see if that's even a thing that they Wait, might. Do you know them? I do not, but I'm, I'm a really brave person. So like nothing. Really all the good vibes because this needs to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I, w- I mean, it would be so amazing. And I mean, I don't know where they're at in their, you know, their cancer process with their partner or anything like that. And I wouldn't push it, but I would love it. And it seems like something that, that they could get behind. So we'll see.
Oh, that'd be so cool. Yeah. So I went to the Miracle Forgiveness Gala that Kyle and Latter-Gay Stories put on. And so I saw your artwork. I didn't realize that connection. Did he specifically reach out to you or you just heard about it? No, I just heard about it. Yeah. And I was like, hmm. And, and just that phrase, you could have said something beautiful instead. And this will come out on February 20th is the plan. And Nicole's exhibit for the opening I went to is still through the February 25th and it's titled, you could have said something beautiful instead. And so it's continuing that taking these horrible books and doing beautiful blackout poetry. My girlfriend and I were just walking through the gallery being like, Oh my gosh, that's gorgeous. Oh my gosh, we want this. Whoa. What about this one? Like it was just so cool. It's been, it's been so easy to talk about and so fun. So for me, when it's easy to talk about, I mean, I'm not, I've never considered myself an artist in total quotes like designer illustrator I got I I feel very comfortable with that but as soon as I started doing this I was like I can talk about this I'm passionate about this this means a lot to me this it says something it has such big powerful like things for me behind it that that now I feel like I am an artist around this and then the, the show that we're talking about is at the Bountiful Davis Art Center, which I'm like, all right, like, you know, way to go, Bountiful. But their their shows are beautiful. The other artists that they have there are incredible. So when when I submitted this for a show proposal, they they wrote back and said, yeah, we're going to put you on for 2023. And, and, and I hope it doesn't stop there. That's for sure. I think it's just such a cool concept. Just the simple phrase of you could have said something beautiful instead. And when we think about language and how often it's used to hurt marginalized individuals Mm -hmm. to then turn around being like, how easy could it have been to say something beautiful instead? I just think it's such a simple, beautiful concept that you illustrate so well in your art. And I Highly encourage anyone has a little extra time to pop on up to Bountiful and see this exhibit before it closes. I highly, highly recommend. I would love it too. I mean, it's, it's not about sales for me. Like this is like, this is, I think the turning point for me where turning from a designer who needs people to buy my things to, I just want people to, to hear something good. And like, I've never, I mean, I went on ABC four and did like a little segment on the, the art show and, and, you described it there that like I've never understood sort of like fighting hate with hate even like even in relationships when I leave I'm like I don't understand why we can't be friends (laughs) like why do you hate me so much (laughs) um that's just always been in my heart and so I think this is my way to fight like instead of fighting I'm going to be kind instead of like using horrible words I'm going to just be like look this is this is better than that this is beautiful like this is this I'm not going to harm someone to prove a point. And, and you're right. It's about marginalized people, which I, I find like also in my heart, right. It's, it's all, I mean, hate is all about marginalizing human beings and that is craziness to me. I think it's very powerful. Your entire story is about, it, it seems to be about connecting with people even through conflict, even through disagreeing or whatever, you've found a way in not just your own personal life, but in a professional life, within an activist life, all these things to connect with people. 
Um, and that is, I think, a really profound thing for people to hear because we don't see examples of that as often. And if we do see examples of it, those examples aren't lifted up as often as people who lift up the hatred and such. And mm. so I think this this episode so far is turning out to be like a very great case study of how to you know, just be kind and think through through these sorts of conflicts and even like ideological personal conflicts. So going along with that, I want to ask about, you came to Utah. You came back to Utah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and, yes, I did. <laughs> and that alone is, I think that also exemplifies this. I'm going to, I'm moving past my experience with Mormonism and I'm willing to engage with Mormons, even work alongside Mormons and live among Mormons. How has that been for you living um, in Leighton? Honestly, I mean, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing. I, I, if you ask anybody that is close to me, like kind of what my superpower is, I'm pretty sure they would say resilience. And for me, it's just like kind of just, it's just my thing. I don't know how or why, but I think it, it has helped me because I, like I lived in, so I lived in Kaysville for a couple of years when I first moved back and had a, a really awesome introduction and relationship to this Mormon family that lived in the neighborhood. And this woman came to my door and she's like, you know, and I was like, well, I mean, before we like go anywhere, I kind of need to tell you like, I'm gay. And she's like, oh, like, you know, like so surprised. And, and for a while it was really great. And then I think there was the possibility that she had feelings around me and then was kind of really upset that like, wasn't going to like allow when I finally started getting close to Eliza and like, she realized I was like in a relationship and I loved their kids, like, like hung out with them, like would celebrate their birthdays, but she couldn't wrap her mind around like her family getting to know my partner. And it was a, it was an interesting thing because the, the woman I had dated before had never been introduced to them, but, but she really, she's, she was quite belligerent around Mormonism. She grew up in Davis County. She really didn't have any okay feelings around it. And for me, I'm like, I can still be friends. Like, don't, please don't tell me who I am and what to believe. But like, I, if I want to be respected for who I am and what I believe, I can respect who you are and what you believe to a point and she couldn't. And we, we kind of broke up the day that I said, look, I'm not going to tell them that I hate them and I disagree with them. And then I started dating Eliza and I wanted to introduce her to them. Like, and it wasn't, it wasn't going to happen. And that's where I found my boundaries. And I said, look, if you, if you're not interested in accepting my person and yet I'm here for your whole entire family who believe the exact opposite of what I believe at the moment, then I think we just kind of need to be done. So it's been kind of a funny thing because I'm not, I'm not a conflict person. I hate, I hate it so much. Like I don't, I just want to avoid it. But for me to do that felt really big. Like I wouldn't do it for my other partner because I felt like the need to sort of defend trying and kindness and like, look, these, these people are really good. They haven't pushed me. And then it, and then it kind of went the other, the other direction, but also coming back to Utah, 
my community is Mormon, not, not my whole community. My gay community is not Mormon, obviously, but I went to school here. I have a, a, a teacher friend from BYU who Eliza and I went and had tacos for dinner with him and his wife. And it was like, he's like one of my favorite human beings of all time. And I have so many good Mormon friends that love me, like completely love me. I have no question about it. No, like known my story. And so I don't really have a problem with other people's beliefs when they stay their own beliefs. Like that's cool beans to me. Like I just, it's, I also want to be respected for what I believe. And I think that's the point for me. So it's not really hard until, I mean, obviously until someone decides to jump those boundaries, if that makes sense. Definitely does. And it's interesting to me that of all the places, Davis County, Davis County to me is, is the scariest of all Utah. Uh, well, no, St. George is number one. And then Davis mm-hmm. County, because both of those places have very active anti-LGBTQ movements, especially mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. And Davis County school is, is that way. And so to hear you say, look, on the one hand, I am going to respect these beliefs and on the other hand, or at the same time, hold boundaries because I deserve to be here too. I deserve to take up space and my partner and I get to deserve, deserve to take up place in this place. Do you, have you ever felt unsafe in Davis County? Um, yes. I was totally thinking about that as you were asking actually, because so when Trump was running for president, right. And everybody was putting up signs. I like designed my own signs to put up and did like, well, and then bought a dump Trump sign. Well, like several of them and then black lives matter. And then like some queer stuff and put them. So I lived on a property that had like quite a long lawn until you got to the house. And so I put them at the edge of the street. And this is the first time I kind of was like out, outly like li- like liberal in, in that area. And someone literally cut the sign in half, the dump Trump sign that like said like, like it, it made it like sound nice. The, the sign, which was like, I was like, wow, okay, that was pretty clever, but like also let's not do that. And so then I moved them back into the yard. So it was like right in front of like the main house window, put the three signs and like, you know, new signs back up. And they came and stole them. And I was like, okay, that's that's a little bit sketchy for me. And yet I didn't want to stop. So then I just put them inside the window. And and then the next the next year I even hung a pride flag, but I hung it inside the house and and a huge one, a huge one in this big main window, and nothing happened then. But like that feels pretty violating for someone to be willing to come all I mean, the driveway had a a, a gate. So to come all the way up to the house was a pretty big jump from right at the edge of the street and very personal to me. So I was like, okay, like, and then there was that thing about someone burning something in Davis County. I can't remember what like that story was, but that was terrifying to me. And that was around the same time. So yeah, a little bit. I mean, it's unnecessary. I think that's where I come to at the end of the day. Like I... These are for the people who want to hear it. And if you don't want to hear it, just drive on. Like, that's not hard. Like, in my mind, logically, right? But for some people, apparently it is. And and yeah, Davis County is a, a definitely a mixed bag. It's 
it's a tricky place. I, I don't think I would live there. I mean, I, I now I live in Salt Lake, which is fantastic. We live around 9th and 9th and, you know, our community is surrounding us. And I love that. So. Yeah, that's a very different vibe. A very yeah, different a vibe. Bit. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But I do love 9th and 9th. So that's a great place to, yeah. to end up. Yeah, it's good. But yeah, I think you're pointing out just such interesting things of there's this larger national dialogue taking place of how do we communicate across lines? And here we have somebody who is doing that, who is maybe not from Utah, but has Utah roots, but came here and found a place within Mormonism as a gay person and found a place within Utah and still like there's that still that antagonistic thing. And I think that people don't think of Mormons as antagonistic, but there are no elements. people don't. They're yeah. just so quiet. <laughs> <laughs> They're so quiet about their antagonism. Yes, that's what it is. So quiet about the antagonism. And I like this episode. I like I hope it, it reaches Mormons who are kind of new to this space because Here's somebody willing, because I think that there's so often the dialogue in church that queer people are doing their thing over there and they hate Mormons and we love everybody, you know, Mm -hmm. but here is a clear example of how that's not working. Um, Well, I also think, I mean, uh, on the other end, I think me saying, well, you know, when I left the church and my husband, I got a tattoo and piercings, I think even as ex-Mormons, we do that. And a lot of, a lot of it does turn to hate. I think our queerness makes us defensive and we want to show that we're the opposite of that, that we saw in Mormonism. And I think that's why when I did the miracle forgiveness, I thought there's going to be a lot of harsh art that shows up in this show, like a lot of anger and a lot of shame and a lot of like the negative, which I totally understand. I'm not like, like making light of it, but I also, there's a lot of hard for people, which maybe I just am like, I'm not going to let it be my thing. I'm going to let something else be my thing. So like, yeah, I think there is the both sides. Like we can either hate or not hate. And it's, it doesn't seem, I mean, I know there are so many situations. Like I, I, I don't want to like think like people to be like, oh, she's so cheery. That's not who I am. I just, I just like it when we can find a way past it, I think. This leads me into my second question. And I want to acknowledge, like, you can veto it right off the bat. This is not something you have to answer. But we've talked a little bit more about how we don't talk about abuse in queer relationships because we've worked so hard to Mm -hmm. just be seen in queer relationships that that. We were battling that within like the mainstream that to to talk about what's happening in our own communities is is like second place to that. And so mm-hmm. you had kind of mentioned how that was a struggle for you in that other relationship and, and trying to navigate abuse, which is higher in queer queer relationships. There is a higher mm-hmm. statistic and it's generally probably because of the trauma that we experience. And and I think that Mormons in particular who have left the church, who have left their communities have experienced such trauma that this is a problem. And mm-hmm. so if you're willing to speak to that, 
I would, I would really appreciate it because I know that other people are going through it. But if you don't, no. oh no, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not like a a terribly closed book. If you ask me questions, um, mostly because I just think I did spend a lot of my life hiding um, from a lot of different things, even not just this or you know religion at the time or anything. But my partner at the time also had a similar story. She was a convert got married, had twin daughters, whom one is like a good friend of mine to this day. I think she she's always been sort of a bit of an angry person. And and I think it could, uh, like maybe, if, I mean, I'm no psychologist, just for the record. I'm, I may be an artist, but I'm no psychologist. But I think her growing up, there was a lot of hard in her family. But then I think there was also a lot of hard in, in Mormonism for her. And also watching like her ex-husband and her ex-husband's family and how they kind of interacted with her daughters. But the longer we were together, the more I lost myself and the more harm I feel like it was doing. Like her anger and her inability to sort of let things go was really harmful to me, like psychologically and just in who I was and who I wanted to be nothing was a celebration. Everything was like a competition, which was really interesting to me because I I always just think being with a woman is, is kind of like an amazing thing to me because I meet guys and I think, oh, you're so fun, but I act so different around you. I act diminutive. I, I'm going to be your buddy. I, I feel less than, which is so weird because I'm not a less than kind of person. I'm just like, fun and let's just do this. And I think that's a, a, an interesting discovery for me. And and around my ex-partner, it felt the same way. And it, it kind of came to a, a huge point when we moved back East together and we were surrounded by her family and she had always kind of kept me close. Like, I think that's probably why we went overseas because she taught overseas and there was a lot of jealousy there. And when we moved back East, we were around her family and like opposite coast from my family and she it was just more and more angry which I don't under I don't understand that kind of anger that just kind of doesn't go away and when I left I came back to Utah first and said I'll get settled I hadn't left her yet and when I came here I felt so alive and so free and so happy and like so full of joy and I I told her I'd like some time because I don't want it to think I don't want my heart to feel this because I have a new job and I'm in a different place. I don't want it to be because of that. I want it to be because I understand that us not being together is where I'm finding myself again. And she didn't love that. So she like a week later came out to Utah and then it just kind of got violent from there. And in the end I had to go to court because she wrote out like how she was going to murder me and like slit my throat while I was sleeping and like all this kind of like awesomeness. And we went to court and, and I mean, I just felt like, holy moly, like I've been with this person for 11 years and this is like the end of that time together. It was a pretty crazy year for (laughs) year for me. And now my ex-partner and I owned a home around ninth and ninth. So she still lives there and we live maybe like two and a half blocks away. <laughs> so um, I, there's been nothing since the court appearance, but that was such a funny, sad thing for me, for sure. 
I laugh, I laugh now, but only because like I'm a little bit shaking, <laughs> not, not because it's funny at all. It's really, really tricky. It's really tricky. Human beings are tricky though, you know? Yeah. Thank you for sharing because I think that that's going, that resonates with people and people are experiencing these things and we have to talk about it and we have to work through it because this is happening in our mm -hmm. community and we have to be, be able to support one another through it. So thank you for... And even taking it seriously, I had hired a queer attorney for just the divorce part, just so everything didn't get messy. And when the, the death threat happened, it was after the divorce and I told her about it. And she said, Nicole, you need to take this seriously. Like whether you hire me or someone else or whatever you do, you need to take this to a different level. She said, you don't, you can't play this down. You can't, oh, she was my partner and she's a woman. She said, this is really, really serious. So kind of to your point that people might need to hear that it is really serious. I mean, everybody around me was like, holy shit. Like, you know, like, like we're scared for you. And, and uh, they had the right to be, you know, if I was going to play it down, they were going to protect me. And so I think people need to kind of do, do what my attorney said and, and take it seriously. It's, it's real. Well, I, I'm so glad, so glad you're willing to speak to this. And I know listeners can't see us, but Kate and my jobs literally dropped when you said that, <laughs> like that is so scary. And I think sometimes we do have that stigma of, oh, but it's queer. Like they're not actually like a woman's not actually going to do that. Yeah. So we don't, yes. but I'm so glad that you did take it seriously. Cause I think there is that shame that we already know exists in domestic violence situations that keep people quiet. And then mm -hmm. there's additional shame, like Kate was saying, bidding sometimes of trying so hard to show our relationships is valid that sometimes we put on that happy front that everything's fine. Mm -hmm. And so it can be even harder sometimes to get that help and take it seriously. So I really appreciate you speaking to that. Yeah, to people definitely put on a, on a happy face because when Eliza and I started dating, she was like, I never thought anything was wrong. She knew me at the beginning and things were pretty rough at the beginning of, of my relationship with my ex-partner, but she hadn't seen me for 10 years. And she was like, everything I saw looked so happy and it just looked perfect. And I was like, yeah, I mean, but that's what we do. We don't put out all the hearts out there into the world, which, you know, is a, it's a shame for social media and, and what like kind of we do in our world. I know it's a mixed bag with social media. And yeah. as we said, we've all had really rough weeks. And yesterday I finally just got on my Instagram stories and said, it's been a really hard week. And I'm doing the bare minimum. And I literally just finished meeting with clients via telehealth in my pajamas because that's where I'm at. Like, and it's okay that it's hard. Like, let's be realistic about this. I, I do love when people share hard, not just to share it, but to be real and just yeah. to be human. Like, we're not all having a grand time in life. No. It's really kind of fucking hard. It like, is. it just is. I mean, even if you're in a great space, even if you have a great relationship, there's always something going on with anybody at any right. time, you know? And, and to turn things a little bit, going from this abusive relationship that maybe it even took a while to come to terms that was abusive, because I think even in our minds that it's like, oh, it's a queer relationship that means things are fine, right? <laughs> we got over our internalized homophobia, maybe, and we're out and things are good. 
I'd be really curious if you could talk to maybe some of the green flags with Eliza. Like we talked some about the red flags. You saw, mm-hmm. hear some of the abusive behaviors. I don't know if you want to talk more about that, that you saw, but what drew you to Eliza and what made you be like, oh, this is a healthy relationship. We should pursue this. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, we always had a connection, but back to real, just as a really quick thing coming out of an abusive relationship, I didn't, even with the death threat, I didn't, I, I'd never really called it abusive until after. And it, it was interesting because her, her, one of her kids, one of her twin kids even said, mom, you've been abusing Nicole for the last 10 years. And I was like, wow. Wow. Okay. So like this 20, whatever she was, maybe 26 at the time, this 26 year old is like, look, mom, like this is real. And so after that, I was like, okay, but I mean, let, let me break this down, you know? And, and then I, you know, when, then I dated some more and I felt, I feel like I, I dated someone who kind of did the opposite of my ex-partner, like celebrated me and in big ways, really beautiful ways, but, and also had a lot of tendencies like, like my ex-partner, like very narcissistic and a lot of gaslighting going on, a lot of hard things for me to like, like see again and be like, why do I keep, you know, like, why do I keep doing this? And I think you keep doing this and to find that the, the fit that like is real because now Eliza and I are like, why is this so easy? Like, we're like, we're like, <laughs> it's going to end at any moment. Like we, this will not be real. I mean, we, I mean, literally two and a half years later, we're like, is this going to end? Like you, you can tell me if you like someone else or, you know, just stupid shit, of course. But I think, for us, it's, it's a lot in combination. It's communication. Like we say everything that comes to our mind. We tell each other absolutely anything, the hard stuff, the hard stuff that you don't want to hear. She's an amazing communicator. She's an open book. When she feels jealous or insecure, she tells me, and then it allows me to do the same. And then it doesn't get all messy in between. It's just been so easy. The green flag is so easy that you, like, it's not love making it that easy it's the combination of the two of you wanting it like like the way you want it and not wanting it the way it used to be and and we talk about it a lot we talk about all kinds of things and it's it's kind of remarkable honestly I don't know I that's really cool and I I think that almost (laughs) I think that's like a trauma response of being like, it's easy. What's going to go wrong? Like, <laughs> this can't be real. Like yeah. something, I'm it missing is. something. Yeah, it is a trauma response. <laughs> <laughs> and not to say like historic, like I wouldn't change what ha- has happened and, and the people who I have loved. Like we both even talk about that. We We totally believe like, all those things are good for us. And that's, that's the only way I could grow enough to be in the relationship I am now. So not to gloss over the hard. And yet, at at the other end, you're a whole different human being. I'm a whole different human being. I am not the same as I was with anybody I was with before. And maybe sorry for them, you know, like, I feel (laughs) like I feel bad that I didn't do the growing that I did. And yet it just wasn't the right place to do my growing. I guess, in the end. I just do want to make this one point. That women (laughs) experience domestic violence um, much higher rates. We all know this. And then within Mormonism, Mormonism has this tendency to not acknowledge ever 
abuse and has really, really bad problems, as we've seen recently over and over again. With It's almost like every month, Mormonism doesn't know how to handle abuse. It doesn't even know how to define abuse. And then to have the trauma of all of these sort of scenarios and add on top of that queerness and the the queer phobia and the trauma and the internalized queer phobia that comes with all of that and losing community. Like there are just so many layers that make our particular population, lesbian populations, really vulnerable to these things. So I just want to hit home that if this is what's happening, if this is your experience, please, first of all, do get help. Find your support system. Like Colette had talked at the beginning that finding your queer family and finding that support, but also know like there are lots of things that go into that and be careful when you're trying to figure out how you're going to enter into the queer, queer world as an ex Mormon and the things that you're bringing in and, and work on yourself too. We have a lot of stuff we have to undo when we, when we're going into queer spaces. So I mean, this is like a whole topic in itself. So I, I appreciate you just being able to, to speak to it. But also, how amazing is it? How amazing is it to then have a relationship where everything feels so easy? That's like the other end of lesbianism <laughs> to me. It's like... The other end of the rainbow. <laughs> it is. But it is. It's so great. It's, it's remarkable, honestly. And whatever else happens in life, this is like my foundation. And that, that by itself is incredible. I think so like, too. You know, life is going to continue. Like I had the shittiest week of my life so far and, you know, we're still great. We're like laughing together and making jokes about like, we have no money now and like all kinds of bullshit, but like, we're fine. You know, we're just fine. Yeah. And I think I get this a lot from folks who have been married to men this is why I like husbands is because people who have been married to men who then are married to women it's just like oh this is just completely different there's a whole different connection thing that's taking place so there really is and not to at all be like role-based because this is gonna sound like it is but we fight over chores and I've never loved it more than I love fighting over chores with Eliza like she's like well what are you gonna do this weekend and I'm like I'm gonna vacuum and I'm gonna mop and I'm gonna take all the trashes out and I'm gonna blow the yard like you know blow her all the leaves and she's like well, what's left for me and I was like nothing and she's like but if I do it first I don't, I don't know it's it's so ridiculous and yet kind of like the happiest thing like it's not a relationship I've ever experienced where you you have to do this and and I I get to do this like that's and then there's like weird ruffly feelings around the like overlap or who is to do what I don't know it it sounds ridiculous and yet it's like the funniest fun thing for me honestly let's fight over chores I think that's think it's that's a green flag <laughs> for sure <laughs> not not succumbing to these gender roles and getting to play with that and, and feel safe and comfortable in a relationship where everybody gets to like figure out what works best for them and what they like to do is just really cool. For sure. This might be changing topics a little bit, but Nicole, you are more stereotypically visibly queer and you (laughs) do live in Utah (laughs) and you're married to a woman. Like I know you talk some about the concerns about lack of safety when you're in Davis County, but how is it being out in a 
queer relationship, being visibly queer in Utah, how has that been for you? I honestly don't really think about it all that much, which I kind of promote Utah in that way where, and I know we kind of said, you know, Mormons are quiet and they're sort of like belligerence around what they don't believe or whatever. And, And that's true. But I mean, isn't everybody a little bit sometimes, but I've always said like Utah is a really fairly easy place to live if you're in Salt Lake City as a queer person. Like Salt Lake City, I feel like I'm at least surrounded by enough like-minded folks that I can just be me. I'm not going to shove my beliefs in somebody's face. Like if it doesn't feel right, I'm going to not hold hands with Eliza, not in Salt Lake. I've never done that. I, I, you know, had to kind of like fight with that overseas. Like, okay, do do we show affection? Do we not show affection um, out of just safety wise? But I've never, I've never actually really felt that here, but I'm also kind of like, I would hope I would be able to sense if it felt too unsafe to do what I'm doing or living how I'm living. And then I might change something or move or whatever, but I've always felt a little bit okay and surrounded by pretty decent people, at least in the Salt Lake area. I'm glad that's been your experience. I know that it's not everyone's, so I'm glad that that's been good for you. One thing, though, we went to, not to pinpoint locations, but we we went to Bear Lake for Eliza's birthday to, like, just stay at a KOA and, like, take our kayaks and, like, have fun. And there was this man driving his little ATV thing, like, waving a Trump flag as we were walking around looking at the KOA thing where we were going to stay at a little cabin and we were holding hands and he drove by and he's like, you like what you see? And we were like, Oh no. We we're like, and you know, you kind of like look back, like wondering what's going on. And he drives by again. He like turns around and drives by again. And Eliza and I were like, we're not going to like deal with this. We're, we're going to, you know, potentially stay here tonight and like by ourselves in a cabin where like, you know, there's nothing around. And he did it one more time just to prove his point. And that area that didn't feel very safe. <laughs> like we, we made our time really fun and yet we will never go back there. Like that wasn't a place where we felt like anybody was holding out our best interests <laughs> or anything. <laughs> And I don't know, just the demographic. I mean, I love the place. It's beautiful, but I don't want to go to a place that doesn't make me feel okay about who I am, for sure. Again, I keep jumping all over the place, but going to the graphic design and art and things you've done and how that's been so involved in advocacy, where do you see that going, if anywhere? I don't know, but my hope is that that's what I continue to do with anything that I come up with. That's kind of where I'm at in my career and in my life. I don't want to just go back to just making things look pretty, which is great. I love it. I mean, of course, you know, that's, that's what I'm like built for, I think. And yet I can do it and and make a point and put out something meaningful as well, as well as make it beautiful. So whatever I do, I, I think it's, it's, it's going to continue to just be very intentional. I definitely want to take this, you could have said something beautiful and make it bigger than than it is. And I've had a lot of people say the same thing. They said they they, they want to see this everywhere. And, and that I, I can wrap my heart around. And I kind of want to take that and see where it goes. Um, I also just, you know, because I, I have a rash this morning and I told you about that <laughs> on my neck. I'm going to also tell you that 
all growing up, I have suffered from an eating disorder. And after Beautiful Instead, I'm, I have for like the last decade been starting a book called Food Fight. And it's a graphic novel for young people with eating disorders. And it's going to just be a graphic novel, not a self-help book. It's going to be called Food Fight because that's what it is. And that's another kind of like section of my life that I think needs to be talked about and open because it's always been a secret and a hidden thing in my world. And that makes it so much harder. It's like being in the closet. It's just like that. So those two things I think are like the most important part of my future, honestly, in my career and in whatever work I'm going to do. Wow. That is so needed. Very excited to to hear more about that as it comes about, because that is definitely needed. And I think definitely needed from a queer person, because it's, again, a big thing that happens within queer communities, because we want to control our bodies. It is a sense of our bodies are doing things that we don't want them to do. So how can we control it too? So not to say that that is your whole experience, but there's there's a lot of folks in the queer community that have that that element as well. So, wow. Please keep us informed about that because we would promote the heck out of that. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Maybe that's why I was laid off of my job. I have all the time in the world now. (laughs) Yeah, I I got chills talking about that. I'm a therapist and I don't specialize in eating disorders, but I do see it a lot with my queer clients and Mm -hmm. it's, I think, so needed. And so I'm really excited. I'd love to talk more about that with you then and just see what your experience around, you know, at least people you've seen, because that might be an interesting... Um, so for me to I'd be happy to do that offline, but I, if you're okay, we do still have a little bit of time. Are you okay talking about your experience? We, I don't think we've had someone talk about being queer and dealing with eating disorder, food issues, that sort of thing. Are you okay talking about some of your experience? Yeah, totally. I don't know quite what to say aside. Well, I mean, I probably have a lot to say, mostly in it being a secret and being so hard and complicated to talk about. And really, really, truly, and terribly misunderstood. Queer is easy for me compared, honestly. I was in the hospital twice when I was 16. I spent my 16th birthday in the hospital. I was then taken to like an in-treatment program, was there twice. And at a time where I was just angry, I was just so angry at the world. And then, and, and mostly for, you know, taking away my control, taking away my decision, you know, um, I mean, I'm grateful now I'm alive. That's fantastic. You know, (laughs) I mean, there's all like the good sides and yet it's, it's, it's really been just this really hard secret to keep. I mean, it affects everything I do. It changes my relationships. I mean, my hating myself changes how I am in like a sexual relationship. Like if I hate myself, how how am I going to be open enough to like, you know, be with someone that's, and it's been really hard. And if I hate myself and someone, you know, people invite you over to like socialize, there's always going to be food. We're human beings and we survive on three meals a day. We can't avoid it. It's like a different kind of trauma. I don't even know quite how to say it, but it's just a different kind of trauma. It's compounded very differently. And I, I, I think it's always taken up kind of like 90% of my brain and it's exhausting. It's so fucking exhausting 
And it's a secret with Eliza. We talk about it all the time. We're like, yeah, I'm kind of feeling like crap. And and we have this weird, amazing understanding of each other. We both have had some experience with this and it really just affects you in in every way in like every part of your life you're like everybody's celebrating at work we're having a pizza party you know like I'm like I would love the 10 bucks and just not have to suffer through your pizza party like it's so heartbreaking to me to think about all this joyfulness around food that has not been part of my past which is funny because now I love cooking I love cooking for people. If people are happy around food, it like almost like makes me happier than I've ever been. And when people are sad or, or shamed around it, it like nearly kills me. Like I, I want to do everything I can to protect people from it because it's how we stay alive. It's how we do what we do. It's how we function in the world. And it's incredible that the world has created it in us. Like we socially like it hasn't it's not always been a thing it's not always been a thing I don't know I don't know the right words exactly but it's definitely heartbreaking to me well it is and I think I'm still trying to form my words and thoughts around it but it really is heartbreaking to have people hate themselves because they don't fit up to some ideal and how Mm -hmm hard is it, you know, when someone's dealing with depression or an eating disorder, or when they're trying to wrestle with their sexual identity or orientation, gender identity, we know that this takes up so much brain space. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard. I know when I'm, I was in a super, super deep depression at one point, and then I came out of it. And I'm like, Oh, my gosh, I didn't realize how much energy I was spending, just trying to stay alive. And now that I have the energy that I'm not using to keep myself alive, I can actually do good in the world and I can connect with people and I can make beautiful things. And so it's really hard when we're dealing with these things that consume us and it's everywhere. Like you do not get to choose when the eating disorder pops up. You do not get to choose when depression's infiltrating your life. And it's really hard to know what what could have been if your brain wasn't consumed. Oh, holy moly. That is something I talk or I feel like I think about a lot. Yeah. There is so much I could have been doing instead of focusing on this, that it just, it is, it's all consuming. It's really, I mean, and, and, and it's all, you know, like your mental health and it's, it's heavy. It's really, really heavy. There's an element you talked about too, about control and somebody taking away your control. And I think that this is a misunderstanding that a lot of people have about eating disorders is that it's all about, you want your body to look a certain way when actually it's everything. It's thinking about the control and thinking about exactly what's, what you're taking in and the calculations that your brain does around oh all of those yeah. those things is way more than just how you want your body to look. It's it's so invasive in every single every single thing. And the folks with eating disorders, the ability to calculate stuff just like on the spot that is just pretty remarkable, but also devastating to me because that takes so much energy and power just to 
first of all, stop doing that, but also in the first place to create the ability to, to do that is it's really hard to undo. And so I think there's just like not enough talk about eating disorders, but also not enough talk about all of the components of it because it, mm-hmm. it really does just influence every part of your day. Every part. Yeah. And it's kind of an, a funny thing because like also being queer, there used to be like queer jokes that like people would just say off the cuff, like it's no big deal. I mean, eating disorders are the same way. They're like, oh, she's anorexic <laughs> or she must be bulimic, you know, or just like, like things that, and, and like, I just cringe. It's just like saying, you know, some other queer slur. And for me, I'm like, you, you can't, you can't shame people. Like you can't do that. Do you, do you understand even how, harmful that is i mean even in your misunderstanding you are hurting someone else and that's not okay i mean it's 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 up there for me with like any kind of other slur you could tell you know say to me um and not even just me to me but also when i see it it like actually kills me more probably because at least i can have an understanding but i don't know what that other person you know might be you know, doing with that at the for time. For sure. You know? And I think it's hard. There is so much still misunderstood. Like there's so much things that we don't even know the ins and out of. I had a client mm-hmm. that I was like, I think you have an eating disorder. And he's like, no, because again, male, males don't have eating disorders. Right. And I'm like, but I think you do like, let's go get you assessed. And he's gotten assessed. He's like, oh my gosh, I do. But there, we just mm-hmm. aren't it's not talked about. I think there's so much taboo, so much shame. And in my mind, I'm envisioning also an art exhibit of you could have said something beautiful instead around diet culture. <laughs> oh, oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I would love to run the gamut of hate out there for sure. And it's it's an interesting thing, too, because I went to a, I mean, I've been to so many therapists and, and I I love and hate them. No offense. But like also when you find the right person that like you can connect with. And I, I did with this one woman who explained it to me that, that they are discovering that it is a chemical imbalance as well in my brain, which makes more sense than all that your brother abused you when you were a child, like that's where it comes from, or your mom called you fat and all these things happened. And I'm like, but no, like, yeah, my brother abused me. My mom hasn't always been kind around her own body, which then created something else but that's not it for me. Like I can tell you that's not it. And when, when this woman said like there, it's a chemical imbalance and some people are just built to like trigger that. And man, you just go full force. And I for sure was, I mean, I was a gymnast. I was like a straight A student. I was the kid who had to do good because my brother was doing so poorly. And then it's just like a snowball effect. See, and that's where I'm still learning. I didn't realize that makes a whole lot of sense to me that that can be a chemical imbalance, but I'd never heard that before. And I'm a therapist. Yeah. Until I heard that, I was like, what? I mean, because I, you know, it's been what? 20, I don't, how old am I? Like almost 30 years, almost 30 years for me, just sorting through all of this. And so it was very old school then, old school, because I'm old when I was 16 and and I always just kind of put off like, you guys don't know what you're talking about until I heard this maybe 20 years later. And I was like, oh, okay, I could work with mm-hmm. that. I could definitely work with that. 
Oh, well, thank you so much. I, I know we said at the beginning, we never quite know where interviews are going to go. And I have loved this conversation. <laughs> Me too. And I don't even know either of you. And this has been the most personal conversation I've had in a long time. So I really appreciate it. You're so honored that you're willing to share your heart with our audience. You guys are yeah, I hope that that doesn't feel like an extraction. I, I mean, I feel like I was pretty willing to just give up the information. Let's be honest. As we wrap up, is there anything else you wanted to talk about or wish we had asked about? I know it's been all over the place. No, I mean, I sure hope not. I don't think I have anything left. Okay, anything from you? Yes, I do. Of course, I have something. I just wanted to say that I think that the eating disorder topic and conversation will resonate with a lot of people. And those people that it resonates with, I think that you might find comfort and solace and even friendship and and connection through disability studies and disability advocacy, because a lot of these things overlap. And I think that sometimes we think of disability as one thing and we think of mental health or whatever as another thing, but this is a these are really good places to overlap because around food in particular, disability communities are going to offer a lot of space and, and help for, for just differently approaching spaces around food. So if you're going through that, that might be a place that, that you find comfort and friendship. I love how you process things. Cause that's, that's an, an amazing point. It's really cool. I know. I'm so honored to have Kate as my co-host. They're just so awesome. And we get such amazing guests. Thank you for being willing to talk to a random person at your gallery opening and being like, yeah, I'll come on this <laughs> podcast with two people I don't know. You're so nice. <laughs> oh, my God. oh my God. No, I really appreciate you, the both of you. I mean, especially more now. So thank you for all of this. Well, thank it's you. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you joining us today. If you're liking these episodes, we'd love it if you would rate and review Called to Queer on the podcast player of your choice so that other people are more likely to find us. We'd also love it if you'd share our podcast with a friend who could benefit from hearing these stories. If you'd like to donate to support the ongoing costs of the podcast, you can do that by clicking donate on the top of our homepage. If you want to contact us, you can reach us at hello at calledtoqueer.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Called to Queer. See you next time.